everyone. Welcome to the True Path Podcast. Thank you so much for joining in today. So today is session three, and we're continuing our study in the book of Daniel, and we'll be discussing chapter two, verses one through 18 today. So we're going to begin just by reading the passage. And chapter two begins by saying, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream and am anxious to understand it. The Chaldeans spoke to the king. Aramaic begins here. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a garbage dump. But if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you will receive gifts, a reward, and great honor from me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. They answered a second time, May the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will make known the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain you're trying to gain some time, because you see that my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream, there is one decree for you. You have conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream, and I will know you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king, No one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. Because of this, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Then Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery, so Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the Babylon, rest of Babylon's wise men. So, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has invaded Judah, conquered it, and deported Hebrew exiles back to Babylon, and Daniel and his three friends. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael have just successfully completed three years of compulsory training in the Babylonian language and literature, and now have entered the king's service. And here in chapter 2, we find the king is unable to sleep because of troublesome dreams. So, a few facts about King Nebuchadnezzar. Over 50 verses in the Bible speak of him, more than any other foreign king. Nebuchadnezzar was an accomplished military leader and is referred to as a warrior king. During his military campaigns, he consolidated control of virtually the entire ancient Near East. He built the capital city, also called Babylon, 
which became one of the greatest cities in Mesopotamia, one of the most magnificent capital cities in antiquity. The walls surrounding the city were so thick that the Babylonians were able to hold chariot races on top of them. Nebuchadnezzar's palace was so expansive, I read it occupied 50 acres and contained 50 temples and shrines to the Babylonian gods, which is probably why the word Babylon would eventually become synonymous with godless, pagan human culture. Read Revelation 18. So Nebuchadnezzar is powerful, ruthless, narcissistic, and without equal on the earth. Yet verse 1 says he's troubled by the same thing that sometimes troubles many of us, the inability to sleep because of a dream. He may be the great and powerful king, but he is also just a man, a human being with all the difficulties and frailties we all have. It's sometimes easy to place people who are stronger, smarter, or more accomplished onto pedestals. We may look up to them and think they can do no wrong, even idolize them. But we shouldn't think more of a human being than what they are, fallible. There is only one who is infallible, who will never let you down, who will never leave you or forsake you, and that's the Lord God. And as Romans 2.11 tells us, there is no favoritism with God. Therefore, there should be no favoritism with us. The great king Nebuchadnezzar was susceptible to the same things all humans are, and this night he was plagued by troublesome dreams. Now, dreams in the ancient world were considered to be foreshadowing future events, and they thought they could have implications for the entire nation. So the assumption was that the proper interpretation of this dream would enable Nebuchadnezzar to prepare for whatever was to come. And incidentally, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the only monarch to have troubling dreams that needed interpretation. Remember Pharaoh in Genesis 41? He also struggled with dreams. And Joseph interpreted them because of God's revelation to him. You see, God is not bound by anything. He makes himself known by many different means. There's not only one way to hear from the Lord. Of course, the main way is the Bible, but God can also speak to us through other people, through circumstances, even through nature. And the more time we spend with God, the more in tune with God we are and the more we will see and hear him working. And in this case, God is speaking through dreams. Now, Nebuchadnezzar didn't know that it was God who was speaking, but he did know that this dream was significant enough to consult the wise men of Babylon immediately. So he summoned the magicians, the mediums, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Now, originally, the word Chaldean was referred to an Aramaic-speaking people group in Babylon. There are some biblical passages that use Chaldean as a synonym for Babylon. See Ezra 5.12 and Ezekiel 12.13. But later, the name Chaldean became a technical term for an order of priest magicians trained in astrology. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the book of Daniel, it was written in two different languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. So in verse 4, where it says Aramaic begins here, other translations say the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. This is where Daniel switches from the Jewish language to the Babylonian language. And the Babylonian language Aramaic is used from chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to the end of chapter 7, 
Now, what's interesting is that chapters 2 through 7 primarily deal with Gentile nations, and it's written in a Gentile language. While chapters 8 through 12, God is speaking more to the Jews, and it's written in Hebrew. Now, the Chaldeans are apparently the spokesmen of the group, and they asked the king to tell them what his dream was, and they would give him the interpretation. I mean, that was the normal procedure. But in verses 5 and 6, Nebuchadnezzar changes things up a bit, and he requires them to tell him what his dream was and give the interpretation. And if they're not able to do it, they'll be torn limb from limb and their houses made into a garbage dump. But if they do tell him the dream and interpret it, they will receive gifts, a reward, and great honor. And Nebuchadnezzar's not joking or exaggerating here. I mean, he was really going to follow through with this threat. I mean, how often have we used the phrase, I'm going to kill you? But Nebuchadnezzar, he really meant it. And this shows just how ruthless Nebuchadnezzar was. But it also reveals how deeply the dream had impacted him. I mean, to go to such drastic lengths. Now, clearly, having to tell them, having the, to tell them what the dream was before interpreting it, that was not a command that the wise men were used to hearing. Because again, they asked the king to tell them what the dream was, then they would interpret it. Now, they're basically willing and deal with, dealing with Nebuchadnezzar at this point. I mean, they're trying to buy time or stall because they know they can't do it in hopes that Nebuchadnezzar will change his mind about their punishment. I mean, it's possible that these wise men have misled him in the past for their own benefit, because that's what false spirituality usually does, focuses on self, while true spirituality focuses on God. So the king puts them to the ultimate test, not only interpret the dream, but tell me what it was probably to see if they were qualified enough to interpret it. Verse 9 says, tell me the dream, then I'll know you can give me its interpretation. And so how do the wise men respond when forced to face their own shortcomings? Well, they respond the way most people who are consumed with self-importance do. Deflect responsibility. Verse 10, no one can do what you're asking of us. And rationalize. No one should have to do what you're asking of us. Verse 11, no king has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. They go on to say that no one can do this except the gods, and their dwelling is not with humans. So even they come to the conclusion that something supernatural will have to take place for Nebuchadnezzar's command to be fulfilled. And where are the gods of these wise men? Well, they don't dwell with humans, as opposed to John 1.14, that says the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see the stage that God is setting here? Already the claim has been made that only supernatural intervention can make this possible. I mean, the very own words of these pagan spiritualists reveal the power of the one true God, to do the thing that they admit is impossible. Now, their response makes the king violently angry. And in verse 12, he issues a decree to kill all the wise men of Babylon. I mean, notice how fatalistic Nebuchadnezzar is. He assumed that if these men can't help me with my problem, then no one can. Kill them all. But what a warning for us. 
We must never assume that because we can't see an answer to our problems, that one does not exist and give up on God. Because if he can enable a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman to give birth, if he can part a sea, if he can stop the sun from going down for a full day, if he can raise the dead, then he can surely help us with our problems. Now, unfortunately, by Nebuchadnezzar jumping to conclusions and assuming the worst, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael are caught up in this. And they're among those sentenced to death. Because remember from chapter 1, they are counted among the wise men of Babylon. Which brings up an interesting question. I mean, why weren't these four young men also consulted when Nebuchadnezzar called the wise men? Now, they had only entered into the king's service recently, so maybe they were considered too young and inexperienced to join them. But that didn't prevent them from being included in the decree that all wise men were to be executed. Verses 13 and 14 says, Arioch, the captain of the guard, searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them, even though they were innocent. I mean, they never even had a chance to consult with the king. They weren't even aware of what was going on because Arioch had to explain the situation to Daniel. So why weren't they included? Have you ever felt left out like you weren't a part of the plan? Well, take heart. And be patient and wait, because God's timing is perfect. God has not forgotten you. He has a bigger plan in store for you. The time may not be right yet. Because as one scholar suggests, these four young men were seemingly left out. So it could be shown that the abilities of human wisdom alone are inefficient and powerless. And to establish the stark difference between the Babylonian soothsayers led by human wisdom Versus Daniel, led by God's wisdom. And here we see the timeliness of God's intervention, because if Daniel had been among those originally consulted, then there wouldn't have been such a blatant difference between him and them. The wise men needed to fail so that God's success would be more apparent and therefore he would get the glory. So Daniel and his friends are marked for death. And how does Daniel respond? Verses 14 and 15 say he responds with tact and discretion and asks Arioch why the king's decree was so harsh. Notice the contrast between Daniel's response to crisis versus the wise men. The mediums and the sorcerers, they panicked. They rationalized and passed the buck. And Daniel, with wisdom, tact, and discretion. How was he able to do this? Well, because he believed that God could do the impossible and that God was bigger than anything he faced. How do we respond when crisis comes to us? Do we follow the example of the mediums and sorcerers and assume that the problem is too impossible to overcome? Or pity ourselves and say, this shouldn't be happening to me? Or do we follow the example set by Daniel? Approach the situation calmly wisely, with faith and trust in the Lord. And again, I go back to the point discussed last session. I believe Daniel responded to this crisis with wisdom intact because he had been following the Lord all along. He didn't wait for a catastrophe to hit before getting right with God. 
So Daniel asked the question, why is the, de de the decree from the king so harsh? And it was harsh, harsh and rash. But see, Nebuchadnezzar was going through a crisis of his own. He was tormented by his dreams. And the first thing we usually do when we have a problem is get help. King Nebuchadnezzar needed help, but he went to the wrong place to get it. And so when help didn't come, he became desperate. And desperate people do desperate things, like have everyone executed. So again, what do we do when catastrophe comes knocking? 1 Peter 4.12 tells us not to be surprised when trials come our way. Christ himself tells us in John 16.33 that we will have trouble in this world. Now, why are we told this? Well, so we'll be prepared. So we won't respond the way Nebuchadnezzar did with anger, fear, and rash judgment. But instead, we will respond the way Daniel did with wisdom, peace, and sound judgment. And we can exhibit these characteristics if we go to the right place for help. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in verse 16, Daniel went and asked the king for time so that he could give the king the interpretation. And what did he do with the time? Well, verses 17 and 18 says he urged his three friends to ask God for mercy concerning this mystery. He got together with fellow believers and prayed. Power comes with united prayer. See Matthew 18, 19. Daniel didn't know the outcome. He didn't know how all this was going to turn out. He thought he might soon be executed. But I think he also knew that as one commentator says, as long as God had a purpose for his life, no man could take that from him. And the same principle applies to you. If you are still on this earth, then you too have a purpose, and no one can take that away from you. So pray for God to reveal your purpose and live up to it. So Daniel and his three friends pray and ask God for mercy. Now remember, these young men, they were found to be wiser and more knowledgeable ten times more than all the magicians and mediums in the entire kingdom. And Daniel was gifted at understanding visions and dreams. But Daniel still recognized his own ability, his own inability, excuse me. Daniel still recognized his own inability in this situation. He recognized his need for God. And along with his friends, he turned to God with confidence, knowing that he would meet their need. Matthew Henry said, praying friends are valuable friends. And it well becomes the greatest and best of men to desire the prayers of others. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So, as we close, in which category would you find yourself? Are you like Nebuchadnezzar, facing the unknown? Are you uncertain about your future and it's causing you fear? Or maybe you've been asked to do something that's beyond your capability, beyond your ability to handle or accomplish, like the wise men. Or maybe you're being blamed for something you didn't do, like Daniel. Well, no matter which situation we find ourselves, we have a choice in how to respond. 
We can respond in anger and vengeance like Nebuchadnezzar. We can try avoidance and rationalizing like the wise men. These responses may result in momentary satisfaction, but it's fleeting, and it provides no real lasting value. Only Daniel's response, wisdom, discretion, and seeking God's direction through prayer will result in growth and blessing and a closer relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. For we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so that's going to be our challenge this week, to focus on what is unseen, the unparalleled ways of God which are sometimes mysterious, but always good. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.